driving down the road and on the shoulder of the road, there'll be this odd piece of steel, you know, and I don't know what it is, but it's got this, it's kind of interesting. And it's like, oh, I could, this could be like a bracket for a thing that I could build that would do this. And then I throw it in the back (laughs) of the truck and then it's sitting around on my property somewhere for years. Yeah. It's terrible. Welcome to the Off-Grid Outpost podcast, where we discuss the journey to real liberty through self-sufficiency, counter-economics, non-aggression, and the agora. The Outpost represents the border between societal norm and the pioneer spirit. Every episode contains practical, philosophical, and technical information you can use to gain the freedom you deserve. Good morning, everyone. This is Regina with Off-Grid Outpost podcast. I am here with my co-creator Cyrus. Good morning. And today we are debunking prepper myths. Those crazy preppers. Crazy preppers. Lunatics, all of them. Totally paranoid. Yeah. Hoarders. (laughs) Extreme hoarders. Mm Mm-hmm. They're armed to the hilt. Fanatics. Total fanatics. (laughs) paranoid about government conspiracy Mm -hmm. theorists conspiracy theorists that's right flat earthers all of them oh they're all flat earthers that's the icing on the cake (laughs) and that's the end of our show have a great day everyone (laughs) (laughs) that was a good chat no not quite that was a good chat oh no we like to talk way more than that Mm mm-hmm so before we get started, go to theoffgridoutpost.com. We have free stuff for you. We have two PDF downloads. Uh, one is about counter-economics. The other is about cryptocurrency. We've got uh, a counter-economics ebook that we wrote, How to Build a Stealth, stealth Business Using Counter-Economics. It's pretty good. And we got a bunch of content on there, all of our... Uh, archive podcast episodes are on there you can leave a comment all kinds of fun stuff on there Mm-hmm. yeah more and more every day more and more every day always working on stuff so i think the biggest myth out there is that preppers are conspiracy theorists yeah truth is there's a, a lot of them are a lot of them are you're right not all of them are well, something has to drive you to be a prepper. There's got to be some sort of conviction. And a lot of times that conviction is falling into the conspiracy theory, mainly that the elitists are taking over the New World Order, Agenda 2021. Those are kind of the more modern conspiracies, I think. Yeah. Well, you know, prepping is just getting ready for the possibility that something bad could happen, you know, and some worldviews are more conducive to believing that something bad is around the corner, whether it's conspiracy theory, uh, Armageddon, religious kind of things. um, That's a big one. That's a big one. Armageddon Mm -hmm. is coming. The apocalypse, revelations. 
That's a yeah, huge the, uh, conviction for probably several preppers. Sure. But not all preppers are conspiracy theorists. Right. It's just a good idea to prepare for bad things that could happen. I mean, it's kind of like a a no-lose situation. If you get prepared and nothing happens, you really didn't lose anything except maybe some some time possibly some money that you purchase things with but it's if you're preparing by say buying stores of food eventually you can eat those so you didn't really lose anything well and you can prepare in the sense of having extra that you cycle through yeah so you have extra food you cycle through that food while replenishing your stock. Therefore, your preps don't technically go bad if you're doing things like canned and dried. Some prep food lasts for two decades. Mm -hmm. A lot of it doesn't. So that's kind of where I'm at. Incorporating preps into my everyday lifestyle as opposed to having a massive cachet of everything, of stuff. Right. right. Which, there's nothing wrong with doing that, too. There are just really a bunch of different levels of prepping. You know, it would be, if I lived on the coast in Florida, I would have enough plywood in my garage to cover all my windows in case a hurricane came. That's prepping. Well, speaking of hurricane, I believe Lake Charles just got hit again. Oh, wow. It's either happening or just happened. So they had the Category 4, and now they're having another Category 3 barreling right at them. Right. That's just nuts. Wow. Yeah, wow. so if if you try to cover your windows two days before a hurricane hits and you go to Home Depot to buy plywood, you you might not find any, you know? So right. the idea that you already have the plywood, that's a prep. Yeah. So and it can be as simple prep. as that. Mm-hmm. And that's where, if you're not prepped at all, is a good place to start. Prep for your environment that's around you. Mm-hmm. If you're in an area that's prone to earthquakes having a 72-hour earthquake survival bag. If you're prone yeah. to flooding, drought, tornado, hurricane, just prep for your natural environment. That's your, your most basic level, and it's smart. Yeah. Like if you're, if you're somewhere where they have a lot of ice storms and the electricity goes out for days on end, it really doesn't make sense to not own a generator. That's a prep. Right. Yeah. And that's a life-or-death prep. Could be, yeah. If you're in North Dakota and your electricity goes out or your propane or whatever you're using to heat and you lose it for several days and it drops to negative 30, you're not going to make it. Oof. Yeah, I did that, by the way. <clears throat> this last winter, Cody and I were in North Dakota working on the pipeline. And we got negative 30s, negative 40s. Did they shut it down? Oh, no. Why would they do that? i got to get that pipe in the ground. Ugh. 
You don't get much production done, though, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't get much out of me, I can tell you that. Well, and we're in a camper, so could you imagine us in a camper in North Dakota? Negative 30, and that's not even with the wind chill. We're talking negative 50 with a wind chill. Mm, craziness. And it was crazy. You know, we're swapping out propane bottles every other day. We've got electric heaters on blast. I mean, but if we lost any one of those heating sources, we would, we'd have to probably really just stay in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. But then in a wider situation, the area loses power. Mm -hmm. You know, our local propane guy runs out of propane. We've had that happen before. Propane gets wiped out. Those are, that's some scary shit right there. Yeah. So those are the kinds of things you want to prepare for. No matter what your worldview is, things happen. You want to be prepared for them. And some areas are more extreme than others, too. So, mm -hmm. you know, a big one is like all the fires in California. If you're in a situation where you've got fires and closing in on you and you're in a canyon, what's your emergency route? What's right. your what are you going to grab when you're fleeing out the door because you're about to get torched. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. My prepping has always been kind of around the idea that I, I believe our economic system at some point is unsustainable and will probably go through a pretty drastic crash. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how my prepping is it's all centered around that kind of idea but i yeah, didn't smart. i haven't i haven't stocked a bunch of stuff for the reason that my strategy is learn to live without depending on going to the grocery store to buy stuff or going to the whatever store to buy stuff so that's my preparing has been more around skill sets as opposed to stuff. Yeah, mental prep, mm -hmm. really. Because there's also the emotional, psychological prepping in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm an information prepper. So being that we live in an RV and we travel constantly, my environment's always changing. And we don't have a lot of room for stuff. So we do have preps. We're prepped out as much as we can be physically. Uh, but I've kind of binged on books and reading books and articles and printing out things mm -hmm. so I can survive with the knowledge I have. There'd probably be a pain point period of a really steep learning curve because I probably don't practice nearly enough. Mm-hmm. But at least I have the frickin' knowledge. You have the uh, library of information. Yes. Printed library. Not relying on computer knowledge. Not mm -hmm. relying on the internet to give me knowledge. But actual printed books that I can rely on. But that's a good point you have about the economic crash prep. That's not mm -hmm. a conspiracy theory, people. Just to say, just to be frank. Well, I mean, I don't think it is. I'm sure there are others who might disagree with me, but I, I don't think it's baseless. Well, first off, 
economies and fiat currency systems overturn all the time. Mm-hmm. We just would have had one in the 70s when they overturned the gold standard. That's very mm-hmm. modern. And we switched to Keynesian economics. Well, Keynesian economics are designed to fail inevitably. I don't think there's anything left in their toolbox when this one's done. Like, when you come off the gold standard, you move into Keynesian. You know, that's a tool that central banks can use. Inflation rates and uh, interest rates and things like that. Those are all tools that they use to manipulate the supply. But, I mean, where are they now? They can't drop the rates any lower. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I mean, maybe they can start paying people to borrow money, but I'm not sure that would work. (laughs) They are running out of arsenal, and they're pretty much out. And Mike Maloney of, I want to say his channel is called Gold Silver on YouTube. Mm -hmm. If you really want to get into how the structure of our economy is fatally flawed, he covers it greatly and very, very well. Mm -hmm. He has this... uh, and I can visually see it. Um, the way he describes it is our economy is like being pushed off a cliff every day. It's getting closer and closer to a cliff. Like you can't stop the time with the way the bonds are set up, with the way the interest rates are set up and debt payback. The way they've set it up is we're consistently on a conveyor belt being pushed off a cliff. And mm-hmm. we've run out of ways to stop this. So all they're doing is printing money to just lengthen the conveyor belt, basically. Yeah, and the politicians, they don't have the stomach to do what would be needed because it would cost them votes. You know, Well, at this point, this... I don't even know if they can turn it around, but what it would take to do so, they wouldn't do anyway. And what it takes is to let the bubbles burst. Let them burst, jack their interest rates up to 15 or 20 percent, and take Economic the pandemonium is what it'd be. Mm-hmm. It'd be economic panda frickin'monium to let all these super world bubbles burst. And so now we're hearing about the great economic reset, that kind of term being popped around, which leads to a world reserve currency, which leads to digital currency, which leads to Agenda 2021, and now we're on the conspiracy theory track. So, (laughs) it can easily flip. Like, okay, yeah, I'm kind of there. I'm a little bit of a prepper conspiracy theorist. I've just got to admit it. A little bit. Well, and and not all preppers are conspiracy theorists, so... Exactly. Myth one. But... I'd say most conspiracy theorists are preppers. That might be. I I know a lot of people that talk about conspiracy theories that do nothing but just talk about them. Well, that's true. They just uh, harbinge on the... It's an addiction. Mm Mm-hmm. The the addiction of shock and fear and, and just reading the doomsday stuff, but yet they don't do a damn thing about it. That's a good point. Mm Mm-hmm. So our next is uh, preppers are extremists. Yeah, I certainly don't think that's true. I know a lot of preppers that aren't extreme in any kind of thing other than they want to try and prepare for the worst and hope that it doesn't happen. 
Yeah, I mean, what do we mean by extremists anyways? Just extreme prepping tactics, I suppose? Well, I think extremists, you might uh, you might find diehard militia people. Mm. That might be extreme in my view. Organizing um, doomsday militia kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Which is happening right now. Mm-hmm. We are seeing a lot of people starting to band together in response to the rioting and the craziness in the cities right now. Holy crap. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I think that, in my view, that's extreme. But extreme is also a subjective term, so... I think forming militias, doomsday militias, would be a bit on the extreme side, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it could be a slippery slope if you decide to join one. I think there are religions that are extreme about, you know, they're certain that the second coming is happening soon kind of thing. In my view, Revelations. that's extreme. Mm -hmm. I think that's a bit extreme, yeah. But, however, not if you're that person. Right. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they feel completely justified. They think that everyone else is extreme. You know, a good example of a extreme prepping group with religion is the Mormon group. Yeah, they are, they are diehard on that stuff and good at it. Extremely good at it. So if you're not prepped at all and you just want easy access to being fully prepared in every way, shape, and form, you can join the Mormons and they will, they will outfit you. They will take care of you. Once you're in their family, you are good. You are, I mean, you're really good. If you're really feeling like we're going off a cliff in this world and you're scared and you don't have the money or the time or the knowledge to prep, that is your easy ticket in. But you pay a big price for that, too. Yeah, they do expect certain coherence to what I would call odd beliefs. Well, you have to convert. You either have to play convert or really convert into Mormonism, which is mm -hmm. a very bizarre religion at its foundation. You know, the golden tablets and who is it jo is it joseph yeah What's joseph the name of the smith. founder mm -hmm. joseph smith mm -hmm. found the golden tablets buried under the tree and it, it's very unusual only and he could read them only he could read them only he had them only he had access to them and they they go on that i mean that's what they believe and they they're yeah. apocalyptic right they believe in doomsday apocalypse mm-hmm so you kind of have to get on board with that. Right. Yeah, I was uh, basically propositioned by a Mormon who, and this was when I lived in West Yellowstone, Montana, which is bordering Idaho. Mm-hmm. And a big Mormon community in Idaho. Mormon stronghold, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this man, his father was a, I guess, I don't know if they call it priest or preacher, a Mormon 
priest? Deacon? I don't know what the proper term is, but he was a head of the church. Yeah. And he told me, he's like, if you want, because I'm a single mom in the middle of West Yellowstone, Montana, just, you know, crazy, getting getting rooted, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, if you want, you can join our church. We'll set you up with an apartment. We'll set you up with a good paying job. We'll uh, give you food supplies. All your food will be taken care of. Your rent will be taken care of. Uh, you'll have access to our armory. If anything were to happen, you'll be safe. All you have to do is join. I was like, wow. It was, I can't say that it wasn't tempting. Well, sure. What held you back? Um, giving up my freedom of religion, basically. Yeah. I couldn't commit to a lifestyle where, I mean, I'd have to, I'd have to marry someone within the yeah. church, I'm sure. Being a single woman mother, I don't think would be acceptable. I'd be kind of like, you know, one of the lost ones that would convert in and marry <laughs> some Mormon man. And I didn't like the idea of the uh, subservience to yeah. a religion I didn't believe in. And I, I basically didn't want to be subordinate to to the dogma and to a male-dominated dogma. So yeah, I made my own way, and I had a hell of a lot of fun. Oh, man. West Yellowstone was probably the best, some of the best years of my life. I mean, it was just Wild West all over. Cool. You know what? I landed myself a damn good job in the middle of nowhere and got a really nice cabin and had a great time. So I took care of myself and my daughter. Nice. Yeah. So I'm glad I didn't go that path. But maybe you're in a situation where you would be okay with it, or maybe you're... I hate to use the word a little desperate, but maybe you are. I don't know. Well, it's just an option. Just an option. Mm-hmm. So another topic is preppers are armed to the hilt. It's believed that all preppers are, you know, storing a massive arsenal underneath their bed. Yeah. What do you think about that one? Well, don't get it crazy. There are a lot of those out there. I'm really feeling like that's not quite a myth. I think that's actually pretty, pretty fairly accurate. That is a majority, I would say. I would say that's a majority. Mm -hmm. That's one I read on the internet. So I threw it in there. Yeah. For me, well, I'm pretty well armed in ammo. I don't have a lot of sidearms. I have four. I have a 40 caliber Glock. I have a double barrel 12 gauge shotgun. I have a AR, left-handed AR. And I have my little pew pew, my little magnum. 22 Magnum. Just the teeny weeny one, little bra gun. So yeah, I got four. I got all I got all of it covered though, you know, I think. However, I have what I think is a fairly substantial amount of ammo. I have like 2,500 rounds. Yeah, that's... To me, I, that's a lot. That's plenty. That's a... I, I think compared to other preppers who are into guns... You're on the low side, probably. I think so. But as an individual. Yeah. 
as an individual, I think it's pretty good. My logic in the purchase, so I made a lump purchase about mm -hmm. six months ago, and I'm so happy I did because my ammo is worth yeah. probably double, if not triple now. Yeah, so, you bought the dip. Now you should sell the high and then buy the dip again here in six months. I kind <laughs> of really want to. <laughs> God, you could you could triple your money overnight. I honestly am thinking about selling half. So, because I don't know. The, the election can go either way at this point. If Trump gets in, our ammo prices will stabilize and drop. If Biden gets in, they're going to skyrocket even more. I so don't. if I sold 50%, you you don't what? You think my I, logic I, is flawed? I, there's one flaw, in my opinion. Kay. I think no matter who wins, shit gets crazy. Right. Yeah, I don't think ammo prices go back down for no matter who wins. I don't think they stabilize back out until next year mid-year at least yeah that's probably true yeah because if trump wins all these riots get worse oh my god can you imagine the rioting phew yeah. the cities will fall which conspiracy theorist here yeah tinfoil hat conspiracy. time mm -hmm. they yeah, are a lot purposefully of call that a conspiracy well, no, I'm elaborating on what I think a conspiracy theory slash fact is that they are letting the cities burn in order to destroy them fully to rebuild a smart cities, which is Agenda 21, Agenda 2030. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember. Have you, you seen about the that. blueprints for these smart cities? No. Because okay. they won't ever get me in one. Hell no. They're not good. I'm just going to leave it at that. I really, yeah. I, I think I'm going to have to research more, but I have looked at official government blueprints to smart cities and the smart grid. They have started implementing the smart city. Like they have a prototype city that they've built. Everything's connected. It's the internet of things, super surveillance, super monitoring, and really communal living, communal transport, transport. No one owns cars. No one owns property. Of course. Is this kind of like uh, is this kind of like Venus Project? I'm not sure what that is. Well, you just described it, the, the Venus Project. Well, there Project, you go. And it's uh, I think they've already started that in Florida. They've started one, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. but I'm not sure. So it seems all too coincidental, and us conspiracy theorists are really good at connecting dots. It seems Even when all too there. I'm I just know. <laughs> Invisible dots. Oh, they're there. In the 5G waves. <laughs> In the 5G. The 5G waves. But it just seems kind of funny that all the cities are kind of tumbling and burning and the homeless situation and the rioting. Yet they want to release this smart city prototype protocol. I think that it's by 2030. They wanted to start implementing by 2021. They want it to be implemented by 2030. Kind of weird. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'll be that old man out in the woods. Right. I'll be holed up in some mine shaft somewhere. Digging out gold nuggets. 
we actually found a great mine shaft to survive in. Oh, yeah? It Yeah, it's got a ballroom in it. It's big, but not too big. And the great thing about mine shafts is that the temperature stays acclimate year-round. And acclimate yeah. 65 degrees year-round. Cool. So, got you a nice little... Uh... Nice little bug out location. Yes, yes. And and that's what we do every time we move. And this goes back to prepping. Every time we move, we drive around and find our bug out spot. Yeah, that's good prepping. That's uh yeah, I like that. That sound. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So another myth, and I do think this is a myth, is that preppers are hoarders. Yeah, I think that's a myth. I think we can totally bust that myth. Mm-hmm. Most of the preppers I know, at least the the serious prefer, preppers, they're they're very methodical about it. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's no room for hoarding. You know what I mean? No. Like, everything's got to be organized, and everything's got to be. Uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Everything's got to be itemized and know, you, you got to know where everything is and Labeled. that's just not conducive to hoarding. Preppers are very tidy. Hoarders are very dirty, typically. Again, there's different levels of hoarding. But when I think hoarding, I think of dusty, dirty, disorganized chaos. And preppers yeah, kinda... are actually the opposite of that. I kind of see it like a gambling addiction, you know, kind of in the same family. Like, you just can't stop yourself, and so things just get out of hand. Mm-hmm. Impulsive, compulsive. Mm-hmm. And the inability to let anything go. Yeah. So when they encounter the object, they have this emotional reaction to the object, and they have to keep it. Even if it's trash. It's tied to a memory. It's tied to a feeling. It's tied to a family member. Oh, wow, well, yeah. I kind of have I kind of have a bit of that. I don't know if you'd call it hoarding, but I've got this bad habit, like driving down the road and on the shoulder of the road, there'll be this odd piece of steel, you know, and I don't know what it <laughs> is, but it's got this, it's kind of interesting and it's like, Oh, I could, this could be like a bracket for a thing that I could build that would do this. And then I throw it in the back <laughs> of the truck and then it's sitting around on my property somewhere for years. Yeah. It's terrible. I, I have since pretty much stopped doing that, but, uh, used to be pretty bad about it. Like I could see potential for junk. That's what it is. And that's like a really good trait that could turn really bad. Exactly. It could be a You have the best of intentions. (laughs) Right. But it could easily turn into a hoarding situation. Quite rapidly. I think that's how hoarding starts. As a collector. Wanting to repurpose, recycle, collect, reuse. And that's great. But then there's got to be the follow through. Mm -hmm. And you can easily, as a prepper, go down that. Because I do the same thing. I'll pick up random tidbits of, oh, we could use this for something. I could use this in this situation. And then at some point, I just have to do a purge 
Right. It's almost a cycle, especially being in an RV. There's no room for hoarding. Although I'm sure yeah. there's hoarder RVs out there, and that would be scary. Yeah. Every time we move, it reminds me that we can't collect. <laughs> when you're when you're stowing things and getting ready to move. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, holy crap, now we've got to sell the barn. <laughs> <laughs> I do have an issue of getting into hobbies that require things, and then I never follow through on the hobby, and then I end up just having to sell what I bought. Mm-hmm. So yes, Prepper can turn into a hoard situation if you are a collector of random tidbits with the best of intentions, and then you don't follow through, and now you have piles of crap that you're not using. Yeah. But I think most Preppers are not that. No. I will say that we did amass quite a bit of a Prepper hoard when all this Corona crap started. But it's all organized in totes. It's very organized in, in well-labeled totes, and that's the difference. Well, and you were you were preparing for kind of a worst-case scenario, right? My thought was that the virus would evolve rapidly into a very deadly virus. Mm-hmm. The way it was spreading, the quickness of the spread, the symptoms, how long a person stays contagious, everything looked to me like a recipe for a viral evolution into a, a high death rate virus. And maybe this verges on the paranoia, which is our next prepper myth, but it all kind of lined up in my yeah. research. I like to research. I like to have stuff to back up my thoughts. And it could have happened, and it actually still can. Still can, just, right. Because well, the coronavirus is just a strain of virus that is related to the SARS. It is the SARS-type virus. And we have encountered highly lethal SARS viruses in the past. So it wouldn't take much for that virus to evolve and become a highly lethal, highly contagious virus. And now we have a situation like the 1918 flu that ravaged, I believe, 20% of the world population back then. And mm -hmm. that's scary shit. Yeah, and people didn't travel nearly like they do now. I mean, it would right. if that happened, it would spread faster, further you know, now. To me, it looked like a recipe for disaster, and I thought we could have ended up in a stand situation. Have you watched The Stand by Stephen King? Uh, I read that book. I haven't. Oh, is it a movie? Oh, so good. I have to watch it again. I've been saying that all year. The book is phenomenal as well. I think I saw something on Amazon where they've made it a TV series or Netflix. Hmm. I think there may be a TV series for it now. I wonder if that's any good. I don't know. I mean, the stand is pretty extreme. I believe their death rate was like 98% and most of the population got wiped out. But I was fairly convinced we were going to have bodies on the streets piling up at, at yeah. one point in this. Well, and so you prepared for that. And to this point, it hasn't happened. So you didn't lose anything. 
you were prepared in case it did happen, and then you would have been glad you prepared. Yeah, and I'm still glad I prepared. And I'm glad that it isn't as crazy lethal as I was concerned it being. But there was a level of paranoia there, I suppose. Yeah. So are all preppers paranoid? No. No. I'm, I'm really laxed about most things. Like you were talking about weapons earlier. I don't really own a bunch of weapons and I don't own a bunch of ammo. I mean, I've got shotgun, long gun, some pistols, but, uh, you know, that's not one of my main things, but I am also in a situation where I can feel more secure than most people would because of where I live. I'm, really remote and well remote in the sense that finding my place is very difficult and then getting to it is difficult and so I have a level of security that I don't that allows me not to worry too much about how many guns and ammo that I own well I think preppers are opposite of paranoia because we're solutionists not paranoid freaker outer people yeah So instead of feeling paranoid, we maybe have a twinge of that to spark the, maybe not paranoia, but concern. Well, I'm concerned this could happen, so I'm going to prepare for this. We're like solutionists. Mm -hmm. And so once you have those preparations in place, you can be less paranoid. Yeah, you feel actually, you can actually kind of sit back and and watch the drama unfold and it doesn't, you can eat the popcorn instead of being a part of it. Right. Yeah. Well, like that song from R.E.M., it's the end of the world, and I know it, know it, and I feel fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I feel fine. I feel fine. I don't feel any, I don't feel scared at all, or freaked out, or worried, or depressed, or... At the beginning, it was a little shocking, but I didn't have those feelings of hopelessness and desperation and paranoia, per se. Right. It was more the initial shock, okay, where are our preps lacking? And we filled in those holes, and now I feel fine. Yeah. So what's the next myth? That's it. That's it? Okay, cool. <laughs> well, that's all I had. Do you have any myths to add? Um, no. No, I guess that's it. Well... There might be one, like, preppers are fanatics, but I think we kind of covered that. Yeah, I would say, you know, some of them are. (laughs) But you can learn a lot from those people, too. Those really kind of rabid preppers. Right. They know their shit. You can learn a lot from them. I feel like we're a lot closer to reality as opposed to like the ancient Mayan calendar running out doomsday scenario preppers mm-hmm. that was pretty fanatical where people went out there was actually a couple who maxed out all their credit cards and bought things where the interest rate wouldn't kick in until after 2012 because of the ancient Mayan calendar running out <laughs> right you know, that was a little fanatical. Now they're yeah. in a crap ton of debt. They're probably still paying off or they filed bankruptcy. 
So I think how, the fanatical prepper nowadays is probably a little more accurate because things are so effed up right now. Yeah. How old were you during the Y2K deal? I was in 2000. I was 18, wasn't I? Yep, I turned 18. Yeah, so people thought the world was going to shut down because all the computers wouldn't know how to calculate years past 2000. It was really kind of weird. Well, it was a programming flaw that actually could have happened because they did not program the banking. It was it really came down to the banking system failing. Yeah. When it flipped from 99 to 00, they had not programmed for that flip. So they thought it was going to be this huge reset. And one gal I know, she actually went out and went off grid in preps for Y2K. Yeah. I remember Y2K. I actually thought it was fun. (laughs) (laughs) Being an 18-year-old and, you know, you just have this Mm -hmm. mind state of like, oh, hell yeah. Bring it. A lot of people were seriously concerned, though. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do any preps for that. I think a lot I of mean, people racked up their credit card debt on that one because they're like, "Oh, the banks are going to reset. They're not even going to know I owe money." <laughs> 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 yeah, that didn't happen. Yeah, I wasn't worried about that one because I, in my mind, I'm thinking like, "There's too much to lose. They're going to solve this problem." Oh yeah. They they lose way too much control over the over the slave class. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a fun one. So there was Y two K. Two thousand eight was pretty serious. Mm-hmm. I think that was a kind of a wake up call to actually really having really good reason to prep. Financial well, bubbles yeah. bursting. Yeah, and... that was pretty hardcore. So if you look at prepping and and look at it in a sense of spending money and time to prepare, people who had spent all that extra time and money to pay off their mortgage in preparation for a financial crisis, they were in a lot better shape than a lot of other people who ignored those signs and then lost their houses. Exactly. Over leveraged financially, mm-hmm. in bad mortgage debt. Yeah, that one hurt. That one hurt a lot of people. I hurt hope that was kind people, of a wake yeah. up call. Uh, there's been a big movement towards alternative housing systems. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. The RV being one of them. I'd say seventy percent of people in RV parks live in their RVs now, and just travel around. People living in yurts. Earthships, vans, schoolies. Tiny homes, yeah. Tiny homes, buying an acre or two of off-grid property with cash, throw a tiny home on it, cabin. Mm-hmm. Big paradigm shift in housing, I think, is happening. Yeah, I think there's a shift in the in the youngest generation coming up right now. What What are they called? Generation Z. Generation Z. Well, they have to pivot. They have no choice. It's either that or live with mom and dad for the rest of their lives because the way shit's set up right now, they ain't going to make it. Yeah, I think they're moving away from the idea of debt and big houses and 
you know, the American dream being own as many cool things as you can. I don't think they're falling for that as much as the generations like yours and mine. Yeah. It's completely uh, changing, which is good. Yeah. It's not sustainable. Yeah. Now we've just got to convince them that TikTok is not reality. I don't know, man. That TikTok, there's something to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We actually have a lot of Generation Z audience to our podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. It's actually a 40%? It's a large portion, actually. It's 40% of our audience, I believe, is Generation Z. Well, no, Generation Z and then Millennials. Millennials is the largest portion of our audience. Then second, I believe, is Generation Z. Yeah, so just the fact that I was really expecting more of a Generation X audience... Yeah, and so just the I. fact that we're attracting younger audience to our alternative perspectives of life and how to live and how to survive is really quite telling. Yeah, I think it's awesome. It is awesome. Yay, I think it's for great. The young people. I feel younger just saying that out loud. <laughs> Well, I think this was kind of a cool episode. We could probably wrap it up. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, uh, feel free to leave us a voice message. The link is in the show notes. You can email us at cyrus at the com or regina at the com with any feedback or questions or comments you may have. You can also head over to the website, theoffgridoutpost.com. Leave us comments there. Check out our stuff. Uh, rate the podcast on whatever platform you're listening on. It helps us get found in the algorithm. And give us a thumbs up if you want. Yay. So tune in on Friday for our off-grid pillar number six, which is energy. We're talking about electricity. We're talking about heating, cooling, cooking, natural energy methods. Of course, solar power. I mean, everyone expects solar power, but we're going way beyond solar power on Mm -hmm. this episode. It really should be good. Yeah. Tune in. Tune in next time. We'll catch you later. Bye. Bye. Here's a little teaser for what's coming next week. So basically, as long as you're taking a shit, you're going to have heat. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which I can almost guarantee that that's going to be happening. Yeah. That's actually a 100% guarantee. Yeah. So uh, how do you heat your house? Oh, just with my crab. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the Off Grid Outpost podcast. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe so you can get all the new episodes.